Welcome to Spinning Back Click Retweak here at MMA Junkie. We take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. I'm your host, Gorgeous George, and with me as always, some of the sharpest minds in the biz. Joining me this week goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He is my co-host on the show and the creator of SBC, Farah Hanoon, our overseas standout reporter. She joins us from Cairo, Egypt, and the MMA media titan is back, Mike Vaughn. He joins us from Toronto. This week, we're talking about Bellator 300, UFC Fight Night 229, and all of the latest news. Here we go. Goes, by the way, we'll double up on the ones and twos. All right, panel. So after watching Bellator 300, their main event, I had nostalgia. You see, the same way we used to talk about Bellator lightweight champs, uh, Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler, WEC champions like Benson Henderson and Anthony Pettis, Strikeforce champions like Gilbert Melendez and Josh Thompson. I just think it's fair to say Usman Magomedov is one of the best lightweights in the world and could be a UFC champion. This will get shut down by UFC fans and embraced by hardcore MMA fans. But all those names I threw out, I mean, kind of helps my case here. What do you guys think, though? No one cares what I think. It's the panel. You guys are the stars. What do you guys think about Bellator's Nermi Usman Nurmagomedov? All right, leading off this week is Mike Vaughn. I mean, if you've been watching MMA long enough, and it doesn't matter about promotional lines or whatever you think, uh, and you actually can just judge a fighter based off their talent in the cage, it's clear Usman Nurmagomedov is extremely good at fighting. Uh, given his age, given his experience, all this stuff, he's way ahead of the curve. He's really, really good and honestly might be the best of the Nurmagomedov bunch. I know that's a, a bold statement to make given the success Habib had and uh, you know other members of that family. Forever you kind of hear like it might be Umar Nurmagomedov. That's what you would hear from people around the camp, people from AKA and things like that. But uh, Umar has been slowed a little bit by injuries and just time off and not being able to get the big fights. They tried with Corey Sandhagen, um, but they couldn't get that fight for him, obviously pulled out. And we're seeing with Usman, who's able to be more consistent and fight some fairly high level guys. I know you can poke holes saying, you know, Brent Primus is maybe on the back end. Benson Henderson is maybe on the back end of his career, obviously retired now. Um, maybe isn't fighting like the cream of the crop, but I think we're going to get this in the finals of the Grand Prix, no matter who he fights. And then, you know, maybe fights an AJ McKee or people like after, that after. There's going to be people that allow him to continue building up uh, this resume and these credentials and ones that you can maybe rival. Um, I know it's hard to say who the best lightweight is because... Uh, the UFC champion is Islam Makachev, who is his teammate and his good friend and someone who he will never fight, even if he did come to the UFC. So you'd maybe never know if those two guys continue to dominate what it would look like. But you look at some of those other matchups, you know, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, etc. Like I just envision those fights in my mind and I don't think it would be a blowout by any stretch. Um, it's clear Usman is extremely talented. His fight IQ is off the charts. His kicking game is sensational. And at only 25 years old, the sky is absolutely the limit for him. I'm really curious to see how far he can take this undefeated run. Yeah, Mike, perfectly said. And on top of all that, even his coach, uh, Javier Mendez, says he's the best one I've ever had. Not just of the Dagestani fighters, the Namargo Madoffs. I mean, he's, he's throwing in Kane, Rockhold, Cormier, like really, really some high praise. Father, what are your thoughts here uh, on Usman Namargo Madoff? 
well-rounded, looked great. Another title defense for him. But again, does he register as one of the greats really on this planet? I mean, it's hard to put the great label on him just because he's so young in his career. But has he lived up to expectations? Absolutely. And some. I mean, he's he's dominated so far. He's been exactly who people are touting him to be uh, with these shutout performances. Like Mike uh, said, I know he's fighting guys that are perhaps on the tail end of their career. But anyone who's been put in front of him, he's made it look easy and made it look very impressive. Has gone the distance, shown us that he can go the championship rounds with ease so you know the future is absolutely uh, bright for him and those step-ups will come they'll come in the grand prix finale they'll come down the line but has he lived up to the potential absolutely and some and i would not be surprised if we're talking about him as one of the greatest lightweights of all time in a couple of years it's just hard right now based off of the competition uh he's had but every time the competition has gotten tougher he's still continued to make it look easy so definitely a very bright future for him no doubt. 18 and 0, 14 finishes, eight by TKO, KO, and six by submission. I mean, a, a balanced attack. This guy is really a nightmare. Goes, how about you, man? What are your thoughts? Are we going overboard here? Or are you or do you think uh, is this unanimous? You think this guy's really as good as they say? Well, I think when it comes to MMA, we all tend to go a little overboard. But in this case, case, I mean, his coaches say it, right? They give him high praises, his teammates give him high praises. When you see him fight, the thing that stands out the most for me is the look on his face. He has the same look that we would have if we were waiting for our coffee at Starbucks or something. He's absolutely unfazed by his opponents. He never gets intimidated. He never backs down. Uh, Nothing just seems to bother him at all. And he can take the fight wherever he wants, whether he wants it on the ground, whether he wants it standing, he can just take advantage of his opponents. Now, the problem is this, like, you want to look at a guy that that's that, that successful and try and find some kind of weaknesses. There really aren't that. The only thing that I can think of is in the UFC, he would be able to compete, no doubt. But in the UFC, you're not just fighting your opponent. You're kind of fighting the pressures of being a champion, being on the biggest stage. Um, you're fighting that schedule, right? You have to be active. And every single fighter you fight is an absolute killer, especially in that division. If you look at guys like Chandler, Gagey, Alvarez, uh, they've all had their stumbles, right? They didn't just come out of the gate and start wrecking shop in the UFC. Eventually they settled in, but all three of them have kind of talked about how different it was for them. And and we won't really know that from him until we see him in that sort of situation. I see a similar path for Nurmagomedov. If he were to go to the UFC, I think he would be very successful, but I do think uh, it might come with a stumble at the beginning or something, but eventually I think he would get it done. He's just way too talented, man. I, I really like this kid. Me too. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see it one day. Who knows if, if we ever will, but I want to ask you guys a quick follow-up to, to kind of add to it though, George, like I think he's being perfectly positioned for success, right? Like you could argue uh, his Bellator title shot was not really deserved. They kind of shoehorned him in there a little bit too early, but that's one of the great benefits of being a Bellator, right? Like you could do something like that with much less outrage and he was right in there and like, he's already building up these experiences. This is like his third, fourth title fight already. 
Um, it's only going to be beneficial. He's going these five rounders. He's not really getting pushed. Uh, the pressures go spoke to. I mean, what's more pressure than him coming in as the champion to a Grand Prix semifinals? He not only has like the belt to lose, he's got that $1 million spot in the tournament final to lose as well. So he is dealing with pretty high stakes situations here and high pressure situations. And he's seemingly going through them pretty well. I mean, if you wanted to make a criticism, I guess you could say like this wasn't the most entertaining fight in the world. I don't think it lived up to like Bellator 300 expectations, right? If you can yeah. even match those given the magnitude of the show. So if you wanted to criticize him like a little bit there, but given all those things we just said, and you can throw heat on Brent Primus too, being like when you were clearly down three rounds, four rounds, you weren't going for it or taking any major risks. So he didn't force Usman to go to first, second gear there. And uh, that's why I want to see him fight better guys that can actually push him and we can see him go a little bit deeper into his bag because he did not even look like he was in a fight after going five rounds on Saturday. I just think the pressures are different. I'll give you an example. Sure. If, you, if you play in the national championship in football, there's pressure, but it don't match up to the Super Bowl. All the media you got to do, all the other things surrounding, people spitting on you from the opposing teams. It gets nuts, man. I, I just feel like it's a little different. But if that family has shown anything, it's that they, they can kind of put that to the side. Now, sometimes you will you would see Habib. He's gotten heated before. You can get to him. But in the actual fight, I don't know what they do. They just flip a switch. They tone it down. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. Um, I'm just saying I think he's being positioned well for if that day does come he'll have the experience in title fights. I'm sure he's cornered Islam and Habib and been around these situations before. So like, obviously you never know until you're in there, how you're hundred percent going to deal with it, but the foundation's there for him to at least hopefully thrive in that situation. If he's ever there. I just thought of something guys. Was that the beginning of the Dylan Dennis that we know now, you know, this villain guy that's just out there, whether he's in a fight or not, or it wasn't it him getting on Habib's nerves. Uh, and, and, and Habib went over and 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 socked him up or whatever. I mean, it's pretty interesting because Danis, you know, has blown up in a way without fighting, and that might have been the the start of it. I had a quick follow up for you guys. I I got lambasted on Junkie's Instagram feed. I mean, not too bad, but I simply stated I thought Cyborg and Cat should have been the main event. No disrespect to Usman. I mean, we're obviously having this topic. Uh, but I just felt like that's where the buzz was. She used to live in San Diego, did Cyborg. She's an iconic figure in the sport. And that heat that they had, right? And and Kat lives in San Diego, too. Um, whereas Usman and Primus, as far as I know, was pretty respectful. But what do you guys what do you guys think of this? Like I said, everyone told me everyone showed up for Usman. Uh, of course, you got some idiots out there. No one cares about women's MMA. But I still felt like that was the fight. What do you guys think? Mm, her? Okay. Um, I mean, Cyborg is definitely worthy of, of headlining a massive show, but I think what Bellator pride themselves in is building young talent. It's something that Scott Coker talks about all the time, building them from the ground up. So I think they obviously see something in Usman and giving him that type of platform. He has the fan base, he has the skill set. So I don't hate it, but I also wouldn't have hated if Chris Cyborg headlined just because she's obviously one of the greatest fighters of all time, regardless of gender. So um I, I see uh, people kind of defending Usman's spot, but like I said, you know, Bellator, Scott Coker, they pride themselves in building young talent, and they were giving him a, a big spot because they obviously see something very big in him. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's the perfect answer if, like, 
what is Bellator building towards, I guess, is the only question, right? Like, we don't even know if there's going to be a Bellator. So that's the only thing that puzzles me. I mean, if there was like a future here, be like, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, without knowing that, I do feel like Cyborg was probably the right move, just given her career cachet. Um, the fact that it's probably a more reliably entertaining fight, which obviously it was, and her being the only uh, you know champion to finish it quickly out of that sense. But yeah, I understand why they do that. The Nurmega Madoff name is still very appealing in MMA, regardless of who it is. And to slap it on Bellator 300 is clearly like a, a smart business move in a sense too. But uh, I don't think Cyborg would mean bad either, especially given Scott Coker's uh, ties to women's MMA and the fact that's always been something kind of unique that he is pushing the promoter. So um, I would have been fine with either. Obviously, in hindsight, Cyborg would have been the right choice given the entertainment value of her fight compared to Usman. Yeah, I did have one defender in there who said that the he was he or she was there and that the place did clear out a little bit after Cyborg. But by then, I had been buried by all the Nermi fans. No biggie. All right. Just wanted to run it by you guys. Here's something good coming out of the chat. And folks, if you give me something good out of the chat, a question, a comment, I'll, put, I'll shoot it to the panel or take it myself. So let's make them some good ones. Um, Benny says, why was AJ out of the tournament? And you're right. So that was a semifinal, the Primus and Nurmagomedov fight. Nurmagomedov advances the grant to the Grand Prix, like Mike pointed out. And Shabali faces Pitbull, Patricky Pitbull in Chicago at Bellator 301. The winner will face Usman or Magomedov. Why was AJ out? I believe it was a uh, staff, right, guys? He had a staff uh, skin right. issue or something like that. So he's out, but he's been pointed as the uh, sub should something happen to anyone else because obviously that's cleared up. It wasn't a major injury, and he fights Sydney Outlaw at Bellator 300, 301, sorry. So if something were to happen to the winner or any of them that's left, then you'll <laughs> see him step in. Uh, he also says, who's Usman's first fight if he was to go to the UFC? That's a good one. Let's entertain that. Uh, can you guys think of who you would give him if he were to go to the UFC, like, let's say, Bellator did, you know, and seize operations? Man, anyone in that top 10 would be awesome. I'd be fine with. But, like, I guess if you want a specific name, I mean, how about, like, Armin Sarukian would be a lot of fun? Or yeah. Zeev when he's back? I guess it depends on Ooh, the time. that's a good one, too. Yeah. Actually happen but anyone in there would be money and super interesting challenge so i'm here for it mm -hmm. av says i feel this guy would be capable of beating volkanovsky is kicking would put volk at a great disadvantage volk would get seriously damaged coming in and and getting within striking distance however av uzman and magomedov is a lightweight i don't know that he's ever talked about dropping down of course we've seen volk go up but yeah that's an interesting take all right but we've got to move on and again i'll look at the chat if something comes in I will definitely put it out there. How about you guys do something for us, though? Hit that like and subscribe. It'd be great. Helps the algorithm, triggers things, puts us on the front page, whatever. I don't know. That's just what people say, so I say it. But it really uh, would mean a lot to us if you could do that. All right. So speaking of Chris Cyborg, she defended her be uh, Bellator featherweight title versus Kadzinganu, also at this Bellator 300 card. Another big win for the legendary Brazilian fighter. Even though Chris Cyborg lost to Amanda Nunes head-to-head, she pretty much bests her in most other categories. For example, overall record, 27 and 2 to 23 and 5. Major titles, 4 to 2. Title defenses, 12 to 8. Win streaks, 20 and 7, 12 and 6 for Nunes. But can she ever overtake Nunes as the WMMA GOAT? 
All right, we start off with Fada on this one. It's tough because I think longevity will play in Chris Cyborg's favor because obviously Amanda Nunes just retired. May she come back potentially? But as of now, Cyborg is actively competing. She's continuing to make it look easy. And that's what both women have had throughout their careers, that they have shown that they are just a level above everybody else. We finally got to see the fight. Nunes beats her. It was only 51 seconds. She knocked her out. Incredible uh, finish. I would have loved to see a rematch. I think that would have helped settle the debate a little bit better. But it's just a little bit tough because if you look at statistics, they're on Chris Cyborg's side in terms of winning titles in, in various promotions, Stuff, some of the stuff you just listed earlier. Nunez probably has the bigger names on her resumes, the Ronda Rousey's, the Misha Tate's. They both have Holly Holm in there, um, Valentina Shevchenko as well on uh, Amanda Nunez's resume. So it's, it's just tough. I mean, I think Chris Cyborg, we, now that we don't know what's happening with Bellator, she could have some interesting fights coming up for her, but she's continued to look absolutely dominant as she always has. That one blemish, at least in recent memory, has been to Amanda Nunes in that quick knockout loss. So I think it's a little bit tough. I think people tend to look at the UFC as the number one organization. And because Nunes was a double champion there, they're going to... Uh, put her above Chris Cyborg, but I just think circumstances have just not helped Chris Cyborg out. She's been willing to fight. She was talking about wanting to fight Ronda Rousey all those years ago when Ronda was still in her prime. So uh, it, it's unfortunate the way things panned out for Chris Cyborg, but you know, you never know within the next couple of years if Nunes stays retired and Cyborg continues to fight and continues to look so dominant like that. Who knows? Okay. How about you, guys? Uh, where does it stack for you? I think a lot of us have Nunes still as the GOAT, but I'm telling you, you look over Chris's Chris Cyborg's record, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, there was a time where I thought that just couldn't happen, right? I mean, what clearer uh, card do we have to determine all this than them actually fighting? And we saw the result. I actually think her getting knocked out probably works in her favor a little bit because at least you can – You'll have some people that'll say she just got caught, right? Versus maybe being dominated for five rounds or something like that. Um, but as time is starting to pass, I'm starting to see a little bit of a route for Cyborg. I thought I would never say that, guys, but I actually do see a little bit of, of a route. And I'm going I'm to explain to you how things could actually churn a little bit. If Bellator and PFL were to merge, now you can have Cyborg fight for another belt, right? Like that's a lot of belts to add there with your Invictus, Strikeforce, UFC, Bellator, and PFL. That's really, really hard to overlook. And considering who she'd probably have to go through to get that, uh, maybe Harrison, Pacheco, those two fights, as long as Amanda Nunes stays retired, it's just, it happens over and over in mixed martial arts. We do it all the time. When fighters just aren't active, we tend to forget a little bit about their greatness. Not all of them but some of them. And I think as long as Amanda Nunes stays retired and Chris Cyborg keeps fighting at this level, maybe picks up some of those wins, I think maybe you can make that argument. It, it's Time's going to tell, man. But but honestly, to overlook, I mean, George, you've seen it in her house, the, the case with all those belts, that's so hard to just overlook. Um, and you got to remember, she's done this over different eras as well. We don't see that very much from fighters. We'll see fighters dominate for a certain era, and then a different type of fighter comes in and, and dethrones them. Uh, Chris Cyborg has been doing this for a long time at, at a very high level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and she's got title defenses in all those organizations you just named, Bellator, Strikeforce, Invicta, and UFC. Um, one other thing, too, 
if I'm cyborg, I could say, hey, didn't you lose the cat? Well, I just beat her. We call it like a, a round robin between them. It wasn't anything like, you know, cat wasn't really on their level, I guess, to say that you could play that card. But anyway, I want to hear from Mike. Mike, what do you think here, man? Can she ever get there? Man, this is a hard one. Like, I came into this thinking a little more clearly, like, uh, I think there's a good case for Cyborg. Now I'm kind of swaying myself to be like, it's clearly Nunez. I don't know. I don't think it's like 100% definitive, clear cut. There's good cases, good holes to be, you know, poked at both resumes here. Um, I think Amanda Nunez, like, fought the better competition. She has more of those signature memorable wins like if i was to ask you what's chris cyborg's like greatest signature win on his resume on her resume i don't think there's like as many or as clear ones as amanda nunez there and obviously one of amanda nunez's biggest ones is cyborg herself so uh, that's a big feather in her cap too but i do think cyborg has been more consistently dominant right like there's a lot of fights on Amanda Nunez's resume where she clearly like coasted a little bit and she was happy going to the decision. How many times did she come to the press conference and be like, yeah, I wanted to show everyone I could do five rounds. That's like why I fought this way or why I dragged it out a bit. Uh, Cyborg is not giving anyone a leash. She, yes, as Goes pointed out, has maybe got like a little more conservative, tactical in her approach in these latter years of her career uh, with Bellator. But it's still extremely effective. She's still finishing more fights than she's not. She's still finishing fights earlier on than, you know, not. So um, that dominance is there. I feel like it might be hard for Cyborg to overcome this argument unless she can do what Ghost said there and get in some more work. If she goes to PFL and she beats Kayla Harrison and she beats Larissa Pacheco in particular, those two, I think that would really elevate her resume even more and do big things for her in this head-to-head argument. Uh, but right now, I don't think like there's a definitive number one. But what I can say is Amanda Nunes is retired, and unless she comes back, her resume is going to remain what it is. Chris Cyborg, as far as I know, is, has like three more fights on her Bellator contract after signing a new one going into this one, maybe more. Uh, so she's going to be around and have the ability to enhance her resume further, which is a leg up on her side. And if she can get uh, some of the bigger competition that's still out there right now, that'll be big time for her. Good stuff, guys. All right. Shout out to Pro Fights Info in the chat room. Self-Improvement Hub says, Cyborg has been headlining events for over a decade. Wow. M says, Cyborg was the star of the night, especially after that performance. Oatmeal26 says Cyborg is the women's goat. No question. West Coast counters and says Cyborg has beat up cans and most of them are 135ers moving up. I don't know about that, though. I mean, there, there has been a few fighters that, you know, like Mike pointed out, the, the thicker resume does go to Nunez because I looked at that and they both faced like eight or nine or and defeated eight or nine former champions but the higher profile ones went to Nunez's a lot of them for Chris had to do with in former interim and Victor champs or things like that um so there is something to be said for that I just wouldn't go so far as to say cans because she's she's been destructive man yeah and it's um, like it's not really balanced out too right because obviously you put more stock into the UFC names right. and the people that come out of there but like you know, is beating Julia Budd a worse win than beating Megan Anderson? Like, all due respect to them. You know, I think, I don't know. 
I think maybe just because it happened in the UFC, people maybe put more stock into it. Um, and Cyborg didn't really slip up in any of those fights that she's had. Yeah, there's been a couple like, you know, closer ones or ones that have gone the distance, but she never, you know, stumbled in the way that Amanda right. Nunes did against uh, Juliana Pena. Obviously, she got that back and, you know, righted that wrong, but we never saw that moment with her. The only loss Cyborg had uh, that's, you know, happened in recent memory. I think she lost her first fight, was unbeaten for like however many years, and then lost to Nunes and hasn't lost since. So her consistent dominance is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yep. Can I ask you guys something at this point? Because I'm kind of like with Mike, as we were talking about it, I was almost reversing in my head what I was thinking. But if they were to fight today, who would you guys take in that rematch? Because I think I would take Cyborg. Yeah, I would maybe. Yeah, I don't think it would be unreasonable. Farah, what do you think? I don't know. That's the thing. That's what I was talking about. How I mean, even Cyborg's first pro loss was actually, I think, in less than two minutes as well. So the only losses she's had were pretty quick. But uh, yeah, I would. I mean, the odds would the odds makers would probably make Nunes a heavy favorite just because of the way their first fight went. But I don't know if I would necessarily. Say, I, I'd probably have the odds like that. Even I have no idea, honestly. That's why I wanted to see more, and I was very surprised that the way Cyborg fought, like almost disregarding Nunez's power, like, cause she's just used to have it overpowering everybody, but just the way she slugged it out with her, I was very surprised uh, at her game plan for that fight. I would have liked to see once they got into the clinch, if there was going to be any grappling, if they were just going to stand and trade from the outside. So I think so many unanswered questions and it's one of the rematches I would have loved to see, but looks like we're probably never going to get. Yeah, they could have done that fight again. Same thing that happened to Cyborg could happen to Nunez in just as quick a fashion. So um, it's definitely like a coin flip to a degree. But yeah, it's it's one of the great debates, I think. You know, it's interesting because Nunez towards the end, is it a motivated Nunez or not? A non-motivated Nunez gets starched. A motivated Nunez usually did most of the starching man and and that's the thing with cyborg it seemed like she always showed up at her best never taking a camp off and if she lost she lost but i think i would lean towards cyborg as well goes um weird right yeah it's a tough one it really is uh self-improvement in in hub who by the way liked and subscribed thank you for pointing that out he says nunez all day benny says the lioness is number one shout out to the mma locker room uh, self-improvement though he does want you to pick one fada who do you think would win the rematch uh cyborg or or nunez like you know i guess if it happens i don't know when does it happen see that's another question are we talking about now or are we going to have a nunez coming out of retirement having not fought for years these circumstances matter but um I don't know. That's the whole point. At I, UFC really 300 at UFC 300 it turns out Bellator ceases operations gets picked up by the UFC, does side work. Nunes decides to come back. That's where they fight. What do you think? And the fight, the fight takes place in Vegas. Five rounds, obviously. Uh, I don't know. I'm, okay. <laughs> it's one of those It's one of those things I would literally pick last second. Granted, my track record isn't great this year, but... Um, is very comfortable sitting on the fence, George. Leave her alone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> All right. Well, the good thing, Self-Improvement Hub, is if it ever comes to happen... If it ever comes to fruition, we do our MMA junkie stat picks, so you'll know the true answer there, and you can check it out. One quick one, guys, before we move on. Um, 
Cyborg had an interesting comment. She says the fights themselves are more important than the where the fights take place, which is obviously her high-fiving Bellator. She loves that home. She loves working with Coker. But it's an interesting topic here because the featherweight division towards the end was honestly dookie in the UFC. Obviously, the UFC is the biggest platform, but did you guys agree with her there or not? You don't know a lot to chime in. Anyone who want to take that one? And sure. I guess uh, like in theory, it makes sense, but that doesn't mean it's true for like the audience right like it's obviously bellator does not have the exposure of the ufc we're not seeing them promote their events in the same way um given the status of the organization so um yeah like it can be just as meaningful on paper uh but if it isn't sold to the people or they don't care about it it decreases its value to a degree so Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know what it It is about this topic but we, I, I keep going back and forth. But yeah, again, like I kind of see her point. But at the same time, if people are also wondering, well, why aren't you in the UFC trying to fight Amanda Nunes again? Or why aren't you trying to fight Kayla Harrison? Then I kind of get that as well. Um, but she's unique, goes, and I'll tell you why. Because she was verbally abused by a lot of people in the UFC. Mm-hmm. You know, she did go there and she did her thing. So I think she can say, hey, look, I was there. Did you miss me? I was there. I fought. I won. I have some belts to show it, some title defenses. Um, and the, so at that point, you know, the, but, the but I will say this, her go. going to her going to PFL and having to go through uh, uh, Harrison and Pacheco is more attractive to me than her fighting Dumont and Chasson and whoever's left at 45 True. in the UFC because Amanda's gone. So only if Amanda comes back is that attractive, but Otherwise, I kind of see her point, but it does help that she's just been through a lot. I mean, honestly, she's been through a lot. Go ahead, Fada. If I could throw one maybe to the chat, which one did you guys watch? UFC, I know they weren't exactly head to head timing wise, but UFC, the fight night or Bellator 300, because obviously it was a mega event for Bellator. It had title fights, whereas the fight night had a lot of entertaining scraps, lesser known names. So I think that's the question we maybe could throw to the people watching. Which one did they tune into? And then maybe it could help either prove cyborg right or wrong but sometimes um it sometimes the fights themselves and and what's on the line doesn't necessarily mean you'll get more viewers out of it unfortunately okay so chat you got your assignment there i know some of you have already chimed in but give us some more answers who would you take lioness or cyborg in a rematch mike you had one last thing you wanted to fill in no, you uh, you made my point there pretty much. I think the most attractive 145 fights are outside of the UFC right now. I'd really rather see Cyborg against, uh, you know, Harrison Pacheco than her fighting Norma Dumont. Okay. All right. I'll keep an eye on the chat. We'll circle back because we do have something related to that uh, towards the end. All right. Well, I'll tell you, I thought Bellator president Scott Coker might have more to say about the rumors surrounding Bellator's future. Sell, merge, stay put. Big Daddy Cooks is pretty mum on the topic, only offering that there is, quote, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns, end quote. Um, of course, we all remember Coker going through this process once before with Strikeforce. However, he pointed out by saying, quote, keep in mind, I don't own Bellator. Bellator is not my company to own or to sell or to keep or to merge. It's owned by Viacom. And they have a process that they do, and they're doing what they need to do. It's not something I own or uh to sell or not sell. Now, obviously, we all know that in 2019, Paramount Global uh, bought out this whole Viacom stuff, so they're actually the proper owner, but I had to give the quote the way that it was. Here's what I'm getting at. Bellator 300, it just didn't deliver like I thought it would. 
Sure, some of it was on the was on the fighters or the fights themselves. They lost a huge title fight on Fight Week, as we all know, Bader and Vassell. I thought that would have been pretty outstanding. But guys, what's missing over there? Could it be that Paramount Global or Viacom or whoever is responsible for killing its own product? We go to goes for the first take here. I just think it's a little bit of everything when when uh, when you put it all together. Some of these main events just have not really panned out. They've spent a lot of money on some of these veterans that have come over, and some of them you feel like, yes, maybe it is the level of opposition in Bellator that's been taking care of business, but some of them have just fallen flat. Or sometimes you'll get some of these rising stars like an Aaron Pico or an AJ McKee, and you just feel like they're just completely uh, outmatching their opponents. It's just not up to the level of opposition. So it's been a minute since we've had one of these like, barn burner fights that Bellator used to be so popular for, right? I don't think they're killing the product, but I think they're damaging it right now with all this uncertainty. And 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 I think you can kind of see it on Scott Coker's face, you know, how uncomfortable he is and really how sad he just seems. This is a guy that's been involved in mixed martial arts from, I mean, some of you guys remember him all the way back to Strike Force, but we remember him even back before then in K1. Like he's always had his footprint in martial arts. And I think to have to run the company this way at the end, which what we're thinking is going to be the end, I think it's really difficult for them. And it's not leaving a good taste in fight fans mouths right now, because we just don't know what's next. And that, and that's such a weird feeling to have as a fan, you know, when, when they present a belt, it's supposed to mean something, but if it's not going to be around tomorrow, it kind of loses its value a little bit. So I don't know that you can necessarily say they're killing it, but they're definitely damaging it. And, and I feel bad for Scott Coker right now. Mike, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think you would agree that it came up short, right? Um, not just because of the fight that fell off, but something was just off that night. Yeah, well, the Carmouche McFarland fight kind of seemed like a sparring match, you know, between former teammates for most of it. I know Carmouche you know, did the damage, sent her out on a stretcher at the end, but yeah, it just didn't really pop in that same way. Three title fights can be tricky. Uh, in terms of like the pacing and if you know one or two of them go long then it's just feels like a bit of a slog um, I think if the night ended as we talked about earlier with Cyborg it would have been a little bit different but at the end of the day too like a, a lot of underlying issues going into this I mean I think Bellator has hurt itself in a lot of ways uh, just with the various jumping around of platforms over the years there's been nothing that's been consistent for a long time uh, you know, we had it here in Canada, like free on YouTube for years. Then one day they suddenly say we're putting all our events behind a paywall for like a 10 or $15 pay-per-view charge, which just feels very weird when you're talking about some of their lesser shows even. So, uh, yeah, like it's been hard to follow the product. You don't see the marketing and how it should be for, you know, this type of promotion. Maybe not necessarily Bellator's decision. That could be stuff that comes from above them in terms of like what type of uh, promotional muscle they're going to put into it from like a money perspective. Uh, so I think that's hurt it too. It just doesn't feel like it's elevated in the same way. And I also think the product, well, uh, I think Bellator does have the best roster it's ever had. It just hasn't executed in the same ways. A lot of these main events in recent memory have just kind of fell flat. Like what's, what's the biggest Bellator moment of 2023 so far? What's the Bellator fight of the year? Who's the Bellator fighter of the year? There's nothing that really stands out in my mind in any of these categories. 
Um, so yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just felt a little lethargic for a while now. And I'm sure it's because this is all hanging over everyone's head. It's hard to build momentum, build plans when you don't even know what the deal is here. Like we saw this Grand Prix semifinal with Uzman and Regimedov. How confident are we this Grand Prix even gets finished uh, by the time everything closes up? There's the various rumors of um, what a potential PFL sale would look like. Is it going to be folding Bellator into it? Are they going to run it as a separate entity for a little while to fin up up contractual obligations to various TV partners and fighters and then pick and choose who they want. Are they going to do it kind of like UFC did strike force and just slowly pick the meat off the bone when they need someone, (laughs) Uh, you know, someone falls out of a, a PFL season format, be like, Hey, instead of bringing in some unknown replacement, why don't we just take this guy from Bellator's X division and put them in there and that strengthens uh, the division. So yeah, it's just all going to come down to, I guess, what the decision makers want to do, how this thing's going to be handled. It just all ties together and being very uh, uncertain and unstable uh, from all angles. And yeah, you can definitely see in Scott Coker's face that he does not have the control over a lot of these things. I'm sure he would have loved to give more thorough, thorough answers um, you know, more insightful answers, but I just don't think he's in the position to, and maybe doesn't know everything because this isn't the same type of business transaction as strike force to UFC or any of those things. Uh, Bellator is folded within a massive entity and to do this type of business and making a purchase. Uh, there's a lot more complicating factors than just buying a company outright if it was independent. So uh, I think this is going to be a process that goes on for a little bit longer. And I don't think anyone in the industry, besides the people who are in those negotiation rooms, know what the full intent is if this deal goes through. All right. Well put, Mike. Um, a few people chimed in on your questions, by the way. M said Evelyn's knockout of Edwards, maybe KO of the year. Pro Fights Info says, I get Mike's point and pretty much agree. Fighter and moment of the year, maybe mixes KO of Stotts. And I was only going to say, I think Mix is up for fighter of the year if he could take down Pettis in Chicago because he would have cleaned up the Grand Prix, the million bucks, and now to be the undisputed because those guys will be um, – it's yeah, interim versus uh, – yeah, they'll be unifying there. So, all right, Fada, uh, well, I don't know what what's left there. These guys put it real well, but did you get anything from Coker and the way he expressed himself, or did you want to chime in on maybe what what's hurting over there at Bellator? I mean, he didn't give us much, did he? Uh, but it just felt like Bellator 300 could have been the final show. It's just the vibe around it felt like it was the end when we actually have Bellator 301, which is a pretty good card with Amosov and Jason Jackson, Pettis and Patchy Mix, which is one of the most fights I'm looking forward to regardless of promotion. So it's just uh, Stotts and Sabatello rematch as well, I believe. So it's just, it's unfortunate that there's a lot of kind of uncertainty and negativity surrounding it when I think they've also got Bellator 302, but it felt like Bellator 300 was the end. And uh, it's just, it feels weird. I don't know, like what would even happen if that was the end when they've got cards booked up because it didn't seem like we were looking forward to them rather than us potentially talking about the end or what's going to happen next rather than, talking about you know 301 302 and if there's going to be anything beyond that so i don't know it just uh scott coker didn't give much he probably knows more than than what he gave us but uh at the end of the day i still think there are some exciting fighters uh some exciting fights like i said the 301 card is is a pretty nice card i mean patchy mix is one of the most exciting prospects in mma period so 
Uh, it's just unfortunate that there's a lot of negativity and uncertainty surrounding uh, Bellator, but uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see to find out what happens. Yeah, that event could have could have been it, especially when that confetti came down. It just kind of looked like that could be the final image. Coker and his three champions. Who knows? Can I even uh, say that I I like the three hundred one card more than three hundred? I mm. I think it's a better card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they did start off with four. I think Vader versus Vassell would have been money. Um, and who knows? That might even get added to 301. I don't, I don't know what the injuries were. Or there was talk of maybe last-minute money stuff. But And by the way, if those of you that are interested in fighter salaries, uh, we did get the fighter salaries for Bellator 300. They're on the site, right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, they're on the site if you want to check it out. Very interesting. 150 grand flat fee for all the... Champions and title contenders minus Cyborg, who doubled up and took home three hundred thousand, uh, and then you can see what some of the others won on on the undercard. It's of interest to some, like myself, so I just thought I'd plug it. One other plug here: hit that like and subscribe if you like what you're hearing on this show. We've been doing this for like three years now. The last year's been live, and we're going to continue doing so. And may I point out that going forward, we're back to our normal start time of noon Eastern. 9 a.m. Pacific. We're only doing this an hour early during the Dana White Contender Series run because their weigh-ins comes at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. So after this show on a separate stream, you can watch that. But back, uh, we'll be back to noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific starting next week. All right. Uh, let's move on here. So earlier that day, here in Las Vegas, UFC Fight Night 229 took place. In the main event, Bobby Green dispatched of Grant Dawson in less than a minute with a beautiful straight left and then some ground and pound. May I note, he's an orthodox fighter, so that was a stand switch, as was pointed out by Daniel Cormier. All right, Green, win or lose, has definitely been over with the fans for a while now. Fans and pundits had ideas for his next fight, and it included some big names. With him declaring that he could fight as soon as December, in whose direction would you point him to? All right, first up here, we're back to Mike Bond, the MMA media titan. I mean, man, first of all, what a victory by Bobby Green, right? Like, that was just unbelievable. I don't think anyone saw it coming that way. Uh, Obviously, Grant Dawson was a heavy favorite. And if you did think Bobby Green was going to win, it was probably going to be something where he was able to, you know, put a pace on and maybe stop some takedowns and just use the striking advantage uh, to pull ahead. But we didn't know his striking advantage would lead to a KO in just 33 seconds, uh, a pretty shocking way to end it. And a huge victory for Bobby Green, right? Like he is obviously being around the game forever. Uh, you're kind of getting like Masvidal 2019 type vibes from him to yep. start putting something together at this stage of his career. We'll see, you know, where he can elevate it to. I don't know if that can, that magic can kind of be matched, uh, especially with the division, how it is. Um, but yeah, this is a great win for him. And I think it just puts him in like fun fight top 15 category. I think the two names coming out of this, we're seeing the social media callouts, the interview callouts. It's Dan Hooker and Hinacho Moicano, both of which I love those options. Um, on paper, both significantly better stylistic matchups for Bobby Green than Grant Dawson. So you'd think his chances of getting another win there would be you know, decent at minimum. So yeah, I would love to see either one of those. I think they would be fun fights. I think that's like right in the wheelhouse 
Bobby Green should be. If he can win one of those uh, fights, then you know we're cooking with some heat as far as him like getting a top seven guy. Then you got to look at like the Gamrots and Fazeves and Chandlers and all that stuff. I'm not ready to put him in that conversation yet, but the tier below all those guys, the eight to 12 range of the UFC's lightweight rankings, those are all good with me. And uh, Dan Hooker or Mike Kano would both be a lot of fun. So um, I guess whatever is more available, whatever Sean Shelby and the matchmaking team want to do there, I'm all for it. Both those are great fights. Yeah, I like them both as well. How about you, Fada? Yeah, I think those two suggestions are perfect. You could even throw in a Jalen Turner. But if we're talking about uh, marketing a fight and all that stuff, I think Moicano and Hooker are the direction you go. Seems like both men are down. I mean, Dan Hooker did an interview with Submission Radio where he said Gamrot's his number one choice. Now, Gamrot, of course, is the official backup for Makhachev and Oliveira. I don't know how interested uh, Gamrot would be in looking back. I think he's obviously looking towards the title if he's going to be a backup for that fight. But if he doesn't get the Gamera fight, which I don't think he will, he said he's down for a, a quick turnaround. He, see, he said he's eyeing December, January. Bobby Green said he wants to be the most active fighter of the year. He wants to get December in. Kind of seems perfect. So I would love – that would probably be my number one choice, Dan Hooker, and I'd put Moicano. I think Moicano is also a great option. We see the content Moicano has been putting out. He's pulls no punches when he's giving his opinions on everyone and everything, not just guys in his division. He's become a – a uh, funny character and an entertaining guy, not only in the cage, but with his, uh, you know, post-fight interviews and uh, the content he puts out. So I think Bobby Green needs a dance partner that's really going to know how to uh, promote a fight. So I think those two guys are a perfect option for him. I love it. All right. Uh, Goes, how about you? You got uh, another name or do you got one from the ones that Fada and Mike chose that you think you want to isolate on? Well, I think, you know, those are two good names, and I want to pick one out of the two. And I think it's Hanato Moicano, uh, just because I feel like they could generate more heat and they could sell the fight a little better. And I think it would make Bobby Green's star rise a little bit more. Dan Hooker is, is hot and cold, right? Sometimes you'll get an edgy Dan Hooker. Sometimes you'll get a quiet Dan Hooker. But I think him and Moicano, like Farah mentioned, I don't know if you guys follow him on his YouTube channel or social media, he's off the chain. And I think uh, the promotion for that fight, I mean, it's already started. I think that one would sell itself. And Mike made a good point when he brought up Jorge Masvidal, because for me with Masvidal leaving with Nate Diaz leaving, it's kind of left us with a little bit of a void, right? Those two guys were sort of the anytime, any place type of guy. They didn't really mention belts too much. It was always about uh, making money and just, and just elevating yourself your personal goals. Bobby Green, I think, can fill that void for the fans. I think he's a guy who could really strive in that situation. Look, it's a two-fight win streak. They're both stoppages. I think that carries some weight. I think he could start to call his own shots. I know in the, the post-fight, he was saying he doesn't write the story, and I disagree, man. I, look, the book is Dana White's book, but you are writing the story, Bobby Green, and I really think you can accomplish some pretty cool things here, and I think your star can really blow up, kind of like Mike said, uh, Jorge Masvidal-ish. So I think uh, this kid's got a, a bright future. He's just got to keep doing what he's doing. Good stuff. All right. In the chat, Naksu says, Bobby said he makes fights exciting. I fell asleep watching him tap. I don't really understand that because he knocked out Grant Dawson. And the last fight, he submitted Tony Ferguson. So I don't get that. But he does say, make green fight Fiziev, a Gagey. Probably not Gagey. Gagey, I think, is looking at a title shot. Fazizo's a nice one. I like that matchup. Um, 
Thirty five, isn't that? Bobby Green versus Eve. Yeah. Ooh, I think you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, Stinger Jack says, "Get him in there with Moicano." Uh, Benny says, "Bobby is an OG of the game. Him versus Dan Hooker would be fireworks." Guys, you want to know how big of an OG that Bobby Green is? We saw him fight on a card almost a decade before President Trump became President Trump. President Trump was Donald Trump at the Affliction Show as a consultant or something like that. Little did we know that almost 10 years later he would become president. But that literally was like in 2008 and we're in 2023 getting ready to turn the page at 2024. Mike, I, I'm so glad you pointed out the, the vibes of Masvidal. Bobby Green, I think, has been up there for the taking. Now, some of it has to do with wins and losses. But as we've all seen with the Diaz brothers or even Masvidal, you don't have to be 30 and 0. But if you resonate with the fans, you know, I, I think maybe the UFC might have been a little late to the party with this guy, too. It's funny because I the more I think about it, the more I see the parallels there. Like I always thought Bobby Green too, like he had that stretch of questionable close decisions, right? And you're always looking at it being like, damn, if this guy just did five percent more in there it seems like he could swing these fights in his direction and i remember saying that exact same thing about jorge masvidal when he had those stretch of split decision losses you're like the talent is there we've seen this guy for so many years like what he can do at his best but it seems like that person wouldn't always show up in the cage or it would just be a little bit off and that would be the difference between winning and losing some fights that would put him in a different place in his career and that's been the same with bobby green and now he's kind of picking it up a little bit late, uh, you know, having these more definitive endings and finishing someone, you know, in 33 seconds, like Grant Dawson, that's huge. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels and kind of the career arcs there. Um, but I will say I don't see them making like a BMF title for Bobby Green, though it is in his division now. So I guess nothing is impossible. But um, to get like all the way up there, uh, I don't know. I just I don't know if like the marketing and the star power there. Or is there yet either in the way that Masvidal had it to kind of like parlay it into a championship fight? And we already saw what happened with Bobby Green and Islam Makachev. Short notice, full camp. I don't care. Uh, that's a horrendous stylistic matchup for him. So, uh, yeah, just rock this Bobby Green party while you can till the wheels fall off. But uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. Mm -hmm. Guys, I got one more for you regarding Saturday night. Who else had a standout performance, be it the UFC fight card? Fight Night Card or Bellator? We've obviously been talking about champions, main eventers, but is there anyone else you want to shed some light on? Goes, let's go to you first. I thought Pfeiffer had a tremendous performance. Um, you know, even afterwards, the things he was saying, it just really resonated in, in the time where everybody's wearing the same stuff and there's another fight card the next week. He left a performance that the type that would make you remember him next time. Yeah, Joe Piper might have a sore leg. It was getting, it was starting to get troublesome for him in there, but he rallied. He's a tough mofo. Uh, and yes, he was rocking the USA. Flags are back, by the way. How about you, Fada? Was there anyone else on either card that you thought, okay, that person shined as well? Yeah, I'm gonna go Joaquin Buckley. I just think because like mm -hmm. Piper, he was very, he was very outspoken, like Piper was before. They gave us both a really good media day and. And Buckley, like, because Buckley, I remember the first time on, on Fight Island, uh, I watched him compete. It was a second fight. His first fight was obviously a short notice against Kevin Holland. He ended up getting knocked out in the second round. And then he comes on Fight Island. Obviously, Fight Island was stacked the entire, like, month or so. And uh, nobody was e even really knew who he was. No one was talking about him. And I remember I ran into him in the basketball court. And 
he was telling me how he wanted some shine. So I interviewed him, wrote that up. And then he was telling me how he didn't feel like he showed what he's capable of against Kevin Holland. Goes on and has a viral knockout against Kasanganai. And then has ups and downs in the middleweight division, but he's always given people an entertaining scrap. He's always knocking people out when he does win. And then seeks kind of new life moving down to Walter, which is one of the questions I asked him. I said, why aren't you fighting at Walter Because he used to back in the day. And now it seems like he's seeking new life. Had a very impressive performance over a very good Alex Morono. And uh, I just think, you know, he, he knows how to promote himself. He's outspoken. He's always down to scrap and win or lose. He's kind of a kill or be killed type of fighter. So win or lose, he's always given entertaining fights. And I liked one quote that he gave me when I talked to him on Fight Island about Kasanganai. Uh, you know, he was saying he feels like he's better than him everywhere, but he said it's going to feel real good because it's going to make him better. And Kasangana is about to fight for the PFL uh, million dollars. So I thought that was a, a pretty cool quote to look back on. Did you show him what's up on the basketball court? He was on my team, actually. He played against his coaches, and we, yeah, he was pretty good. We, we dominated. All right. How about you, Mike Vaughn? Uh, anybody from 300 or Fight Night 229 that you liked? Uh, Drew Dober was, you know, just yeah. from the statistical yeah. side of it for him to set the record for most knockouts in lightweight history tied with Dustin Poirier coming into this and he handled Ricky Glenn pretty easy. So I always, you know, uh, geek out for a new bar being raised in these kind of big statistical categories. I know, uh, you know, his nine knockouts probably aren't made equal to Dustin Poirier's eight. Uh, Dustin's are definitely against higher level competition and in bigger fights, but that doesn't matter when it's just stats on paper right and right now drew dober has that record so he can walk around and say he is the knockout king of the lightweights for however long and probably a good chance to extend this because besides him and poirier the next people on the list are way down there at like six so uh, he's got some time to kind of parade around with this record all right and i'll give a shout out to leo mccourt you know she had a close fight against kat zingano that's what got zingano the shot she comes back and starches sarah mcmahon mcmahon was looking at a title shot she would have been 2-0 at Bellator, but, of course, those plans got ruined. Um, of course, has been doing this for a long time. She's even got a win back in the day over Manolt Firo. All right, let's move on to the last one. Sorry, guys. I'm going to have to do it a little quicker here. Islam Makashev believes he can beat the winner, Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington. Do you agree? And are you on board? We're going to Fada first. Yeah, I, I like Islam Makashev against anybody. I, I think he's got the skill set to go up against uh, Leon or Colby, considering that they're not the biggest welterweights uh, out there. So I think he could do well against either one of them. I do think they could, you know, pose a tough, a stylistic matchup for Islam, but I also can see it's, it's a winnable fight for Islam. I just don't want to see it. The simple reason that I've always been the kind where if there are clear-cut contenders in divisions, I'm not too big on super fights. It just stalls divisions. You have Bilal Muhammad will probably go crazy if that happens. Justin Gaethje came out with a very impressive win over Dustin Poirier. So if you've got clear-cut contenders on both divisions, I'm not too big on super fights. But do I think he could do well against either Leon or Colby? I do. And I know he says, you know, he went to Australia and he gave Volkanovski a chance. But even the Volkanovski rematch is out there if Islam can get past Oliveira. So I don't know. I feel like it's just going to confuse so many things and add because you already the Volkanovsky thing is out there Volkanovsky beats Depoya so it's just it's only going to cause more uh complication when you've got two contenders in Bilal and Justin Gaethje waiting all right goes how about you do you are you on board can Islam Makashev defeat the winner of Leon Edwards versus Kobe Covington I am not on board um 
I'm with Farah. I just don't want to see those types of fights. But if it were to come come to fruition, it's kind of hard to call right now because I feel like it's just been a minute since we've seen Colby Covington. One of the things that he's just known for is his pace and how he can dictate a fight. And I want to make sure he still has that because I do think that would give Islam problems. Leon Edwards, I mean, even Usman had problems at times getting him down, right? He seems to be improving. So this, this particular jump, I've never been really a big fan of of uh you know the 15 pound jump i think that's always been a little bit harder if you look at these fighters standing next to each other you could definitely see a significant size advantage but you know that being said sean strickland just did it right gsp did it and won a title it's not crazy but it's definitely not a lock but until divisions are cleaned out i don't even really think it needs to be talked about and if anything man he's got a guy under him that's calling him out right that that's uh calling his name so I don't think it's anything we need to worry about anytime soon. It's fun to talk about, though. Yeah. All right. How about you, Mike? Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, no one's asking or demanding to see Islam Makachev fight the winner of this. Like, on paper, if you presented this to me, sure, I'll watch it. And I think there's compelling aspects to it that we could get excited for. But it's just not the time. It does not feel like the right moment for Islam to be moving up. He has you know, one title defense or zero title defenses at this point against people who actually come from his division. So let him beat Charles Oliveira again. Let him beat Justin Gaethje. Uh, someone creeps up behind that, you know, Gamrot or whatever, whoever it may be. Sure, he gets through those. Then we can start talking about a two-division thing. But Islam has stayed consistent. He's mentioned the 170 thing many times before about how it is his goal to fight there and win that belt one day. So he's just kind of doubling down and building the momentum towards that eventually. But I don't think the timing is right for that anytime soon. And kind of same goes for what they've said at Welterweight. There's plenty of people out there who could be fighting for that belt that deserve it. So... Uh, let's get these guys get through some fights before we move to the champ champ thing, because I do think the champion versus champion stuff has um, got a little bit overblown in recent years. They've done a lot of these and they don't feel as special as they used to be. So let's get back to the time where it feels, you know, at the magnitude it should. And that's when you have two longtime dominant champions facing off. Yeah. Maybe relinquish the belt and then do it, but yeah, don't stall. Sure. If you want to do that, feel free. Yeah. All right. Let's do it this one quick. I need like 15 second answers out of you guys. If Bellator shuts down soon, if I'm not saying they're going to, we all we discussed this earlier. But if something were to come, you know, wind wind things down, who goes down as their best fighter ever? First up here is goes. Let me go Pitbull. You know, when you think about uh, just consistency throughout the years and some of the skins on this wall. I think it's it's got to be him. But look, some of the other names that are about to get thrown out, they have a case too, you know. So uh, it's not a clear cut. Mm-hmm. Mike, yeah, I tend to agree. I think it's Pitbull. Most championship fights in Bellator history, most wins, most finishes, uh, all pretty much all the categories that make you important when it comes to a discussion like this. So he is the guy. Um, yeah, it's got to be him. Clara. Yep, Pitbull to add a few, but I'd put Pitbull as my number one to add a few. Michael Chandler, uh, Douglas Sima, Ryan Bader is a shout as well. Yeah, Bader was a champ champ as well. And then back in the day, Ben Askren, he won a tournament, had some title offenses, left undefeated. But I think you guys are right. In the end, I think Pitbull just ticked so many boxes and won those different titles. Um, I think we're out of time here for today, guys. But thank you all so much for tuning in. 
And thank you to Fada, Mike, and Goes. I thought they did an outstanding job. Goes doubling up on the ones and twos. Folks, help us promote this show. Hit the like and subscribe button. And then when you see it online, maybe give it a share or a retweet. It's up immediately. If some of you I know joined halfway through, uh, all these shows are banked, and you can catch them in our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MA Junkie Video. Now, on a separate stream, starting in about 10 seconds, you got the UFC uh, weigh-ins for the Dana White Contender Series. This is their final week. And with that, next week, we're back to our normal start time of noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. So we'll catch you then. Until then, we'll have